I love you, Jimmy. Thank you. Love you. I love you. Amen. You know, one of the one of the one of what I believe is the strongest places of warfare is on a Sunday morning between the last song and the first word, where distraction has the opportunity to set in. And so we're just going to take a second and we're going to war. And we're going to ask, number one, that we align our thoughts and our emotions with the reality that the living God is in this room right now. And in so doing, we're going to create a canvas for him to paint on for our time together this morning. And so, Lord, we just come together as a body. And we acknowledge you are here. And every wayward thought and every wayward emotion bows the knee to you, Lord. Lord, we ask that our spirits would be connected with you, that we would hear you and be moved by you. And we make a choice of our will to surrender to your ways this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that the Lord has me do anywhere that I go to speak is just to take a minute and look around the room. And so in worship this morning, I just stopped and I began to look at all the faces, all the people worshiping in different postures. And I just began to feel the affection of God. And as I feel the affection of God, I begin to develop this just sense of incredible love for everyone that's in the room. And, and I just feel like the Lord wants to communicate before we start talking how loved you are. That you are seen and that you are cared for and that his heart is bent towards you. And as we stand in that revelation, he is able to speak to us and say, whatever is on his heart to say. And we wanna make sure we make room for that, amen? Amen. So I've been asked to share a little bit of our story of our time as missionaries in the Middle East. And I want to start off by saying that I am simply the narrator of this story. I represent today many men and women who have laid their lives down, some of them still stationed in the Middle East, laying their lives down for the greater things. And ultimately, the story belongs to the Lord. Today I'm speaking, but I am speaking the story of many. And anytime you're in the, you get to the opportunity to hear something amazing that the Lord has done, there's a temptation that hits us. And that temptation is to sit back in our seats and become a spectator to the things that he's done. But I believe that today the Lord is saying something different. He's saying, will you lean forward in your seat and listen for invitation? Will you listen for invitation in the story that you hear in your own life? I believe that God has an intention to activate many people in this room today, to unstick those who feel stuck and to release dreams. So Lord, do it, just do it, Lord. So we deployed in 2004 and 
I'm long on zeal, short on wisdom. My beautiful wife, Leanne, is the opposite. That's better. And, and so we arrive with, and I have this inflated sense of optimism, what it's going to be like to minister in the Middle East. Now, let me paint a picture for you of what the Middle East looks like in terms of moves of God. Since the advent of Islam, it had been 1,500 years approximately, and in that time, there had not been a move of God. And so we show up, I have new missionary disease, which means that I believe that all the answers to all the problems of the last 1,500 years are about to be unlocked by my radical expression of faith. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I'm just going to step in here because I am the man or the woman for this hour. And on day three, my life in the field started with a bang. We were setting up our household and one of my responsibilities was to turn on the computer. I was given very low bar responsibilities, clearly. And I plugged in the computer, forgetting to shift it from 110 to 220. And bang! Our computer blew up. And I remember thinking, oh no. Because the way it hit me, Lord, this is hard. I feel this deeply in my emotions. And it would be the beginning of what I would consider to be a quite difficult year. It was a year of beauty and a year of difficulty. We learned language. We began to engage with a culture. We were making friends. We were also encountering incredible challenges, both with the culture and with the language, but also on the personal front. We had several deep tragedies happen with friends and family. We had multiple things that just went tragically wrong. But can I tell you that that is the story of any obedient journey? It starts with death to self and a call to surrender. It's just part of the deal. But I want to tell you the day that this landed on me in fullness. Now, I know as you look at me, the first thought that comes to mind is that guy's probably a professional basketball player. How many of you have been looking at me going, that's, I knew I recognized you. One of the amazing things that I got to do while living in the Middle East is I got to play a year in the professional basketball league of the country that we were in. That's just so cool. And can I just tell you, I don't know exactly how the whole delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give give you the desires of your heart. I don't understand all the nuances of that, but as a child standing in my front yard, shooting baskets and making the winning shot over and over and over, somehow the Lord translated that into a reality in the Middle East. Woohoo! So anyway, On this particular day, me and two of my teammates are driving into the capital city to play. Uh, We're in a spot where we knew a lot of the local players gathered. And as I'm driving up this hill into the city, I notice there's a large gathering of people. And now this road is 14 lanes across, seven on each side. And there's people crossing the road. I'm, we owned the worst van ever made by God that actually moves. And so I'm in the far right-hand lane because I couldn't go more than about 15 miles an hour up this hill. And so we're putt-putting up the hill and I look to my right and I see this little boy and he's doing this. 
And about the time I get 20 feet or 30 feet away from him, he lowers his head and he runs out right in front of me. And I hit him with my van. And I pull over and I jump out of the car and I run to him. The two friends of mine, the two Arab friends, they, they stay in the car. They leave me. And as I run to him and I'm, I don't know what to do, I don't speak the language very well and I can see that his skull is fractured and I'm holding on to him. I don't know what else to do. I'm just praying in the spirit because that's all I had. And all of a sudden the sun gets blocked out. And I look up and I'm surrounded by about 50 to 60 of his male relatives and I realize I'm in real danger. Fortunately, they were a family of peace and we loaded this boy up and we rushed him to a local hospital that was nearby. And then I was escorted to the police station. Because you see, in the country that we were in, any accident regardless of circumstance, is the fault of the driver. And it carries consequence with it depending on the outcome of the accident. So I'm sitting in a police station, inappropriately dressed because I was going to play basketball. So I'm in a, in a sleeveless shirt and shorts, which is not appropriate. And the officer looks at me and he says, just so you know, if the boy dies, you're going to jail. And I'm sitting there alone and, I, and I'm having this conversation with the Lord. I'm like, really? This is how this is going to end. And I began to think about exit strategies. I began to think about ways that I could extract myself from this. I don't want to go to jail for something that wasn't my fault. So I'm beginning to think of ways that I can extract myself from this call of God on my life. About four hours later, after multiple calls from the hospital, I was allowed to go home. And I was told to stay there until I heard from the police. Well, three days later, I hadn't heard from anything, heard from anyone. And so we started doing some investigating of our own. And we discovered that the boy's been transferred to another hospital. We go to visit him there. He begins to improve rapidly, ultimately is released from the hospital. And then it comes time to settle the insurance part of the process. And so part of the process is me being required to go to both hospitals to obtain reports to give to the insurance company to pay whatever needs to be paid. So I go to the first hospital and it was written in English, skull fracture, subdural hematoma, which means that his brain was swelling, a very serious condition. And the hospital that he was transferred to two days later, I go and pick up the report from there and he was admitted with a concussion. And as I'm driving across town, the Lord speaks to me and he goes, do you see how ambitious I am for you? I rejoiced over the miracle because somewhere in the, in the midst of this, Jesus did something powerful. But what happened in me was the thing that mattered. A few days ago, and actually it's been a couple of weeks ago, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina at our church there, and I was talking with Steve Jellicorse, who is the pastor. 
And we were just having a conversation about discipleship and, and calling this generation into the fullness of their destiny. And he started talking about their discipleship process. And he said, our first step is decided. And I'm like, yes, amen, salvation. He goes, no, 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 no. He said, I'm not talking about salvation here. He said, I'm talking about lordship. He said, I will not have another conversation with another young person about supernatural destiny until the lordship issue is settled in their life. And it was one of those moments where the body of Christ works beautifully together, where a piece of my puzzle that I've been working on is missing and he just slapped it right in there. And can I tell you, when we try to step into supernatural calling, into these destinies that move our hearts, but we have not established the Lordship issue, quitting is inevitable. Because the minute we encounter a supernatural problem with our natural resources, we render ourselves inert. We can't move forward. And so one of the things that I believe that God is doing in this day is he's making his lordship one of two options instead of three. There used to be a middle ground. There used to be a place that you could stand where you could have one foot under the lordship of Jesus and one foot kind of towing the world. And he in his sovereignty and grace has eliminated this middle ground. You will either be one who serves the Lord Jesus and walks with him and follow in his plans, or you will not. And the things that make us fruitful, the things that move us forward, perseverance, the ability to remain, those things are settled when he is the Lord. Because if he is the Lord, I go wherever he goes and I stay as long as he stays. So the issue of perseverance is settled for me. And I believe that is what God is doing in the church today. He is looking for those who say, I am decided, you are the Lord. And I will remain because you are the Lord. And I wanna tell another quick story that shows how this took root in my heart. About five years later, I get an opportunity to travel into war-torn Libya. So this is during the days of the Libyan civil war. And we drive across the border, which was a trippy experience because we crossed over from Egypt, got to the Libyan border, and it was just a gate that opened and you just drove right in. And you got this feeling of, oh, wow, I have entered a different world than what I am accustomed to. And we make our way into Benghazi. We have an opportunity to meet with different leaders of the resistance. It's a wonderful trip. And on the way back, we contract a driver who is going to deliver us back to Cairo so I can fly back to our country. And one of the people that I was with, another American, got a little bit crossways with our driver over how he should be paid. It started as a small thing and over time began to escalate as things like this do. And we pull up to a gas station in Eastern Libya, and remember, this is a nation without a government, without a police force, without anything. And this argument between the two of them blows up. A lot of yelling and cursing happened, and then all of a sudden, the man ran and got in his van 
and he drove away with our luggage, our passports, everything. And here we are, stranded in eastern Libya. But I had settled the issue of I'm decided. I've settled the issue of who was the Lord. And so instead of panicking or looking for easy way outs, I said, Lord, what do I do? He says, find the oldest person. So I go and look around the corner and I find three sheikh, that is the plural of sheikh, whose beards are down to here. And I would say their average age was 65. The first reaction was awesome. Their eyes got this big. I am quite sure they had never seen an American in their whole life. And when I spoke to them in Arabic, it is like they fell off their chairs. It was a supernatural experience for them, for sure. And I begin to explain the situation because I know if I entrust myself to them in need, they're culturally obligated to help me. And so they come out and I know that I need to be covered in prayer. And so I walked to the side of this building and I said, Jesus, I need you to connect me to my nation's cellular network right now. And all of a sudden one bar appears. And I push call and I get a hold of my wife. And I said, baby, I don't know how long I'm gonna have this. Here's the situation, grab the team, let's pray. We hang up the call, the bar disappears, never to return. And about 10 minutes later, the guy drives back, gets a talking to by those old guys, which is awesome, and we got on our way. Now, why am I sharing this? Because once you get to the place where you're decided and leaving isn't an option, you press into him for solutions instead of looking for exit ramps. Yeah. Amen? Oh, I'm, I'm getting happy. All right, so... Year six was brutally difficult for us on the field. I'm not gonna go into all the details of why, but it was a very, very challenging year. And in the midst of this challenge where the temptation to give up, to say, I must not have heard the Lord rightly, maybe he's not going to move here, all of those things began to fade away because he began to speak. And I've learned that sometimes the greatest miracles of light come by choices of my will in the dark. When I don't understand, but I trust in what I know about him, and I say, I will do what you say, though I don't feel it, though my circumstances would say that this is not going well, it is in those places that he most powerfully meets me. I've learned that the path of suffering and the, pass, and the path of peace that passes understanding are the same path. When we walk with him, it's always challenging. But in the midst of that, when it shouldn't be peaceful, we encounter him in ways that don't make any sense, but that empower us relationally with him, that empower us missionally with him, that call us into the greater things that he has for us. About nine months in to this very difficult year six, I got a phone call. And this phone call went something like this. 
We had, we had entered into an, an agreement with a media follow-up company. So Muslims who were interested in following Jesus, they were vetted by other Muslim background believers so that we got the guys who had ill will in, in their heart kind of weeded out. And then those who were truly hungry were passed on. And the guy said, the guy that's talking to me says, I have two guys here. You can have one of them. And I'm giving the other guy to another organization. I'm like, awesome. He goes, first guy, he goes, bro, he is amazing. He's 21 years old. He just gave his life to the Lord. And he's looking for an older man to mentor him with a desire to see the entire nation reached with the gospel. And my old man meter is just firing on all cylinders. Because whether we admit it or not, we all want to feel needed. And when the five talent young buck wants to be needed by us, it is, it's a little bit of a stroke. And so I'll just be honest. I'm, I'm so enamored with the description of this guy that I'm not even listening as the description of the second guy comes. And as I finally clue in, it's like, he's old, he's a little weird, his story's a little crazy. And as I open my mouth to say, I'll take the young guy. I don't know how else to say this other than the Holy Spirit arrested me. He literally took away the ability to speak because he had something to say to me. And this is what he said. He said, son, you and I have walked this whole journey together and you would make this decision without me. He said, hang up the phone and tell him you'll call him back. Well, call him, tell him you'll call him back, then hang up the phone. Yeah. So I go into my bedroom and I say, okay, Lord, first off, I repent for trying to take away lordship from you. And Lord, what do you have to say? And he instantly says, the old man is yours. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so this young man who was given to another organization never showed up to a single meeting. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. And this old man who we affectionately refer to as Noah became the champion of the first move of God in 1,500 years in the Middle East. When you hear that story, I hope again that you hear the Holy Spirit's ambition for me and for our team. He wasn't going to allow our impetuousness to miss out, to cause us to miss out on our inheritance. He intervened. Now, I had the opportunity to be willful, and then that probably would have gone differently. But he loves us so much. So we begin to meet with Noah, and I'll never forget the first meeting that we had with some of his leaders. We're sitting in a room, and you can feel the weight. And as these leaders walked into the room, the fear of the Lord was so strong, and the recognition that what was happening in our presence was something that was heavenly. It wasn't earthly. And I literally found the prayer of my heart being, God, I will not speak unless you speak. I will sit here quiet for two hours unapologetically because I recognize what is going on here is far beyond what I can understand and certainly beyond what I should be trying to lead. 
And he spoke. And he said, Trey, lift your, take your Bible and, and hold it up in the air. So I did. He didn't tell me what to say yet. And so I'm like, maybe I'll just be doing this a while. I don't know. <laughs> and then he said, look at those leaders and tell them that you will never give your opinion to them about anything, but you will only hold them accountable to what's written in this word. Six months later, one of the leaders who was present at that meeting came up to me and said, can I tell you something? I'm like, sure. She goes, do you remember when you held your Bible up? And I remembered. I said, yes. She goes, it was when you said that you wouldn't give us your opinion about anything that we decided that we could trust you. If you hadn't done that, you would have never seen us again. And my thankfulness for my willingness to get out of the way and let Jesus be the Lord was, I, mean, I just began to weep because by this time we're friends and we're doing things together. As the spirit began to fall and, and the power of people who are being saved, who have no fear of sharing the gospel, it was an incredible time. For the first eight months, we approximately doubled every month. And so what started as a handful of believers quickly grew to well over a thousand and all kinds of things are going on. And when I say believers, I wanna be clear here. I'm not talking about someone who's prayed a prayer. Their standard of what a believer was is that they have renounced the Quran, they've renounced Muhammad, they've been baptized and they're in a house church. That's their standard. We didn't say that to them. That was their standard of a believer. And so we are watching before our very eyes, God do something that hadn't happened in 1500 years. Can I tell you what it's like? This is my best descriptor of it. I will tell you. <laughs> So often we like to use, you know, water pictures to talk about the spirit or river pictures to talk about the spirit. But we so often, at least I do, I picture myself wading in those things. Like I'm wading in the river of the spirit. No, 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 no. When the kingdom of God comes to earth, it is a rushing, raging torrent that you are either jumping in to be carried by or you are simply witnessing from afar. There is no middle ground. If you put your feet in, you're swept away. And so it's this beautiful experience of being carried by the river of the Spirit, of recognizing that you're literally not responsible for a single thing that is happening in front of you. You understand and see that God, through His Spirit, is doing all of these incredible things, and then He rewards you for it. The kingdom is so ridiculously unfair in our favor. And if you're wondering if that's true for you, it's true for you. Jump in the river and test it. I dare you. We saw these incredible stories happen. And I wanted to share a couple of of, of stories that I either saw or got firsthand testimony of. And, and one was I'm sitting with Noah and by this time it had grown well beyond the thousand that we had eight months in. So this is probably late to, or early 2012. And there, were so, there was so much going on. Noah had five phones and he received in an average three hour meeting with me, his phone would ring a hundred times. 
and all of them being church planting questions. It was, it was just incredible. And this one particular day, a lot of those he wouldn't answer because he was honoring me. But this one particular day, the phone rings and he picks it up and looks at the name. He goes, I need to take this. And understand just for context, all of this is happening in Arabic. Noah spoke two words in English, no and stop. Other than that, we were in his language, okay? And I can't hear exactly what's going on, but it's clear that there's some kind of problem with one of his leaders. And as he hangs up the phone and puts it down, I said, hey, tell me what that's about. He said, well, one of our leaders of five house churches in one of these Northern cities is unable to go to her house church meeting today because she's feeling sick and her car's not working. I'm like, okay. I said, well, let's pray for her. And so he does this and kind of gives me the sidelong look of, well, you go ahead and pray. And I'm like, you know better than this. I'm like, you pray for her. And so he offers up a prayer. It was great. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't shake the heavens or anything, but it certainly moved the heavens because of what happened next. As soon as he finished praying, he started going back to business. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. He looked at me and I said, we just asked the God of heaven to heal someone. Call her. And he kind of looks at me. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, call her. So he picks up the phone and he calls her and it's busy, which is like a never, ever happen kind of thing. And he's like, which means strange. And, and he, he tries again and he's like, I've been my whole life, I've never seen this. The third time he gets through and he says, hello. And all I hear is, which means fire. And so this woman is screaming through the phone, Nar, nar, bajicity, fire in my body. And, and, and Noah's like, what is happening with you? And she said, as soon as I hung up the call with you, I started feeling fire all over my body. And, I, and, he, and he's looking at me, his eyes are like this, which they rarely were, so this was awesome. And I'm like, okay. He's like, what do I do? I said, ask her how she feels. So he goes, how do you feel? And she calms she goes, I feel totally fine. He said, she said, I'm gonna call everybody and we're gonna have our church tonight. And Noah hangs up the phone and he had this thing he would do when something happened beyond his ability to understand. He just went. <sighs> and he looked at me and he goes, you gotta go. And I said, okay. He goes, I got to go talk to people. And so I leave his house and he is literally on the, on the street behind me. And as I'm leaving, he's engaging people in the street, telling them the story of what had just happened. Just this incredible story. I want to tell one more. This is my favorite story. And there's so many. I'm not just picking out the two that happened. There were hundreds of miracle stories. So many crazy things that God did. Noah wouldn't tell me about most of the miracles that he saw because they were so commonplace to him, he didn't think them worthy of testimony. And so I would ask him how his weekend was and he would say, no, nah, nothing happened. And I would say, really, nothing happened? And sometimes he would say, no, nothing happened. And sometimes he would say, well, there was this one thing. And any time he said, well, there was this one thing, we pressed in a little bit, right? 
And this particular day, he said, I got a phone call from one of our leaders and he was crying. And he said it like he wanted to spit while he was saying it. Arab men and crying really aren't a great mix. And, and I said, okay. And he said, I couldn't calm him down enough for him to even understand what I was trying to say to him. And, and so I finally just said, fine, I'm coming to your house. And he hangs up the phone and he goes over to the house. He said, I got there and he was still crying. And I'm like, okay. And he said, I tried to get his attention. He said, and all of a sudden I recognized something is really, really wrong. And he said, I put my hands on his face and I just began to pray for him. And he said, and while I was praying for him, he took his hand and he shoved it into my stomach like this. So he opened his fingers up and and he said, it was super weird. And he said, while I was praying, I felt this voice say, take that pen on the table and put it between his fingers. So I did. And his fingers closed on the pen. And the Lord said, he said, then I heard that voice say, take that piece of paper and put it in front of him. So I did. And he said, now tell him to write the first name that comes to his mind. So the man writes it down and the Lord says, that's the thief. And it was the name of his daughter-in-law who was in the next room. When I talk about thief here, the, I didn't tell you what was, what the, was the cause of his, of his sadness. In the Middle East, you pay your rent all at one time. And he had withdrawn several thousand dollars from the bank and it had been stolen from his room. And there is no way to replace it, no insurance, nothing to do. And so they call this young lady in and she immediately denies, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. And Noah looks at her and says, the spirit of the living God has told us that you have done this. And she just begins to weep knowing that her life is probably about to come to an end. This is a non-blood female relative in a Muslim household. They're Muslim background believers now, but the culture is very strong. And the word of knowledge is amazing, right? The Lord revealing the hearts of men. What was more amazing is this man who was once weeping over his loss looks at this young lady and, she's, and he says to her, daughter, all that I have is yours. You don't ever have to steal from me. All is forgiven. And the picture, while the word of knowledge is a miracle, the change of heart, so incredible. As things begin to grow, inevitably persecution came. And persecution looked like people being martyred for their faith, people being beaten, people having their property confiscated. And ultimately, it led to some of my teammates being imprisoned and Noah and other leaders having to flee the country. In so doing, it caused things to slow down. It caused things to stop growing. And, and the questions began to be asked, well, it, was there really anything there? And, and you even begin to ask yourself, God, I was there, but now it seems so difficult to comprehend as to what you were doing and how you were doing it. About three years later, I was talking with a good friend of mine who is a Muslim background believer from another nation. And he walked up to me and he said, hey, I need to tell you something. He said, I know 
that this move of God that you guys were a part of, it's hard to trace now because of all the persecution. He said, but there are five other moves of God that are currently happening in the Middle East where every leader of those movements would say that Noah was directly influenced or directly discipled them into the vision that they're carrying. We serve a powerful God. We serve a faithful God. And he is moving in ways around the earth that he has never moved in recorded history that we know of. He is moving in every continent among every people group and he is inviting us to be a part of it. So what's the aftermath of all this? At that time, we had about, there were about 60 to 65 known moves of God happening on the planet that were being traced. That was 2012. Today, just 10 years later, and the number grows so fast, I'm always behind. So I'm going to conservatively say there are over 1,700 moves of God happening around the earth as God is engaging the world in a powerful way. And there's a place for you here. If everyone would just stand to their feet. If we could have ministry teams come forward. The Lord is beginning to press on destiny in many of you in this room. And for some of you, the first question that has to be answered is, is he the Lord of your life? So we're also going to have a space right up here in the front to where if you need to come and get on your knees before the Lord and settle this business of who is the Lord of your life, there's an opportunity for you to do that. If there's any other need, or if you want someone to pray with you, we have people up here who are available. God is moving. Let's move with him. Lord, we just surrender this space to you and we ask that you would draw the hearts. Lord, those who are asking, those who are wondering, would you bring them? In Jesus' name. Hey, just come on with whatever your needs are. Just in one way, it's so overwhelming, isn't it? Wow, God, what do I do?